Are you a current or future physician assistant wanting to learn more about finances? Then join me on this journey to become a PA the FI way. Hi, my name is Kat, and I'm a practicing certified physician assistant who will be your host. It took me five years after I started practicing medicine as a PA to thoroughly dive into my personal finances after I discovered the concept of financial independence. I want to use what I have learned to help you avoid some of the financial mistakes that I have made while sharing some of the financial wins that I have had along the way. Join me as we discuss financial strategies to guide you to becoming a physician assistant on the way to financial independence. Welcome back, everyone, to the PA the FI Way podcast. I'm your host, Kat. And for today's episode, we have a very special guest named Rachel joining us today to talk about working in industry as a PA and healthcare professional. So welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here, Kat. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to visit. Yeah, I'm super excited about our conversation. I think it'll be really valuable to the listeners for sure. Before we get started, would you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and your career as a PA so far? Sure. So my name is Rachel Jurgensen, and I have been a PA now for 26 years and have um, been in medical industry for about 10 of those years. I have previously worked, my very first job out of PA school was in gastroenterology. And I worked in gastroenterology, internal medicine. I've worked in cardiology, kind of the bulk of my PA career, and then in neurosurgery as well. So both private practice and then for the VA system. Wow, I love how your career has shown all the flexibility of being a PA. <laughs> Lots of specialties. It really has, definitely. Like I um, moved about three times, well, probably four now, um, and it's it's been really good. Like you don't like one specialty, you move to another one. Like it has definitely been really nice to be able to find a job and people you want to work with. So that's really nice. Yeah, that's great for sure. So can you tell a little bit what led up to you transitioning from clinical medicine as a PA working in those different specialties to eventually working over in industry in a non-clinical role? Sure. So I think it's all about, again, flexibility and kind of what you were saying. I felt so I was a single mom whenever I made the transition. I had um, two kids at home that I was working with and working with their schedule. And, you know, their dad was very involved, but he traveled a lot. And so I needed a little bit more flexibility. I had um, one of my kids who had, a, you know, had to go to the psychologist quite a bit and was in therapy. And I needed an easier schedule and to be able to take off more than, you know, um, or less than a month in advance, right? Sure. Where you're having to find somebody or cancel clinic or some of those things. And I just felt a little bit trapped, I think, and just like trying to figure out like, how can I be happy? You know, there were, there were some issues I think going on where I just wasn't happy in my job. Medicine always changes, you know, the leadership changes, all of those things. And I just wasn't being served. I love the patient. I love patient care. I love learning and medicine. And I was just like, where can I go where I can make the same kind of money, um, provide the same kind of value or more? Where can I have a little bit more flexibility 
And so that's when I started really kind of looking at what's available and who is happy. I wanted to be happy in my job and not dread coming to work and not dread like some of the issues that I was facing every day. And so the people that I found that were using medicine and learning medicine were the medical reps that I was working with and the medical science liaisons and the clinical specialists. And they always walked in the door like happy, ready to roll. And, and I was just like, they're adding value to our patients. And so we started looking into industry. So that's really kind of how I transitioned is, you know, looking, looking for jobs, interviewing, and it took me a while. Um, but I finally landed an opportunity that I was excited about as a clinical specialist, actually. Very cool. So that, that's a long answer. <laughs> no, I really appreciate you sharing parts of your story that kind of led to the change for you because I'm sure many of the listeners can identify. So that's always really important to you know share if you're open and willing to share. So I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. You might as well throw it out all, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Is this a therapy session too? I may need one. <laughs> well, I work in psychiatry, not a therapist. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I love it. That's great. I love it. So you talked about working as a clinical specialist. That leads me into my next question. What roles have you had in industry over your years? And what do those roles actually involve, you know, coming from someone who is a little bit familiar with industry, but there's so many different terms and names and roles out there that I don't really know which does what. Absolutely. And it gets confusing because you don't know. And so it's a, you know, and I would just encourage anybody who is kind of looking like, look at the job descriptions um, because the title doesn't always match like what you're going to be doing. Sure. So if there's a company that you like, that kind of thing, really look at the job descriptions um, because there are some crazy titles out there. But my very first job was a clinical specialist, which is a great way to kind of get into industry because it's a little bit tied to sales. It's very much tied to patient care. So you're still providing patient care, but yet, you know, you get a bonus with that, you know, sometimes. So there are some really nice things about that. As a clinical specialist, you work with patients, so you may um, educate them before their procedure. You may, you know, trial their device, like on the table in the OR, they may go home with a trial device. So like you're present in the operating room or in the exam room, troubleshooting if the providers have any issues like implanting the device. And then post-op or post-procedure, you're educating the patient on how to use devices. So it, let's just say it's a spinal cord stimulator because that's what I put in. You would teach them like how to operate their equipment, how to charge their equipment. You know, you would answer phone calls from them at, you know, sometimes all hours of the night, but not usually. And then you would be there like whenever they came in for follow-up. And so you would provide insight, you would program, then you would educate the providers like this is what's going on or you know for um cardiac devices you're looking like did they have any shocks did they have any afib you know and so you're looking at the device you're programming it you're reprogramming it and then you're working really as an integral part of the team to like help help them make the best clinical decision for their patients so that was really cool as a clinical specialist so that's a role in medical sales, basically, I just provide education, you know, like, here's the literature, here's what's going on, here's the product, here's how it can fit clinically into what you're doing, or, you know, do you have patients that look like this where this product fits? 
And so it's really providing to me, I feel like all I do is provide education. You know, as PAs, we provide education to our patients. And now what I'm doing is I'm providing education to, you know, the people making decisions for patients. So whether that's in the lab, whether it's providers, that type of thing. So that's really what I do. And then as a subject matter expert, kind of like the medical science liaison role, just really providing research again, subject matter expertise, like maybe for implementation, like of, you know, a diagnostic test, or they really have questions about like, how does this work? And why is it working better? Like, what are the key aspects of like, to help me make a better decision clinically? So you're there kind of working alongside them, more of a consultant, I say. Um, I would think of it more of a consultative, either a cell or an engagement as an MSL to really help make better medical decisions. You're just doing it on a different side. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing about the different roles that you have had in industry. Sure. Are there any other types of non-clinical roles that PAs or other healthcare providers could have working in industry that we haven't touched on so far? Yeah. I mean, there are so many roles. So currently, so I just moved over. I'm a district manager. So now I have a, I manage a team of sales representatives and um we all work together. So you can go anywhere over in this industry. I mean, you can go into sales, you can go into marketing, marketing, product management, training and education. Because if you think of it, somebody has to train all of these people to go out and, and teach providers and to teach, you know, hospital administrators and laboratory directors. So somebody has to educate them. And like, to me, in my mind, who better than healthcare providers because you have the clinical knowledge, you have the clinical background. And so you use all of that expertise and to help, you know, make medical decisions to be, again, that consultant on the side of things and to help them make medical decisions. But, you know, the sky's the limit. There are PAs out there who are director levels or nurse practitioners that I've seen at director levels and VP levels. So really it's kind of what are you interested in and you can go do whatever. You know, I work for a company that is global. So if I was interested in living, you know, abroad and and working abroad, I could certainly go into that. There's a whole, I mean, digital health and remote patient monitoring is super like important right now. There's so many companies out there. So like that whole aspect too, you know, is a possibility as well. So sorry if you hear whatever that is. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I am so sorry. Um, I think they're doing, I am in a hotel right now and they're doing a little bit of um, construction. So I oh, sure. That's okay. That's so fun. Yeah, it just shows, yeah, you know, just, a little bit piece of what it's like working, how you work and how you are in different places and new places all the time, right? Absolutely. So I, um, you know, for my current job, I travel quite a bit. So I stayed over 110 nights last year in a Marriott hotel. Wow. And so this year so far, I think I have um, 70 nights. Wow. And, you know, we're not quite halfway through the year. Sure. (laughs) And it just depends. Like, and then that's the next question, right? Like, do you have to travel? And the answer is you can always find a job that fits your schedule. You know, if you're interested in industry, you can have one where you travel a lot. Like I don't have kids at home. So I'm like, yeah, let's go do it. And, you know, I get to work with, you know, our team and then help mentor them. 
But whenever I first started out as that clinical specialist position, I had I really had half a city and really like two or three major accounts sure. um, that I was in all the time and I worked with. So I wasn't doing like all the overnights at all. So you can definitely find a position that works with what you need at the life stage that you're in. Yeah. Because it's really all about work-life integration and making sure that your priorities, that you can meet them you know, with your family and that type of thing. And that's really what I was looking for in moving from PA to industry is like, how can I have more flexibility? How can I make more money? How can I have more career growth? And this is really what I found that gave me that opportunity. Yeah, I think that all of those points are really great, both on your way to financial independence. And then once you start nearing that point to always try to find that work-life integration, it's not always a true balance, but it's more like what works well in your life right now. And it changes throughout phases of our life too. So I really like how you highlighted those things too. And so I also really appreciate you sharing that you don't have to have roles that you're traveling all the time because I feel like a lot of industry roles that I've heard of, there's a lot of travel involved, but it's really nice to hear that perhaps there are some that you can travel more locally or like you said, that it's just not tons of traveling if you don't want to at that phase in your life. Are there any remote or work from home type of roles in industry or do they all pretty much require face-to-face meetings when you travel? Absolutely. So I think really COVID changed so many things for us. And I see people working more remotely. You can have more appointments, right, with your customers and the providers that you get to work with if you work remotely um, and do some virtual appointments. Um, I always think it's better to do face-to-face, like if you can and if you have time, but some things come up. And so, you know, you do it from home. And especially if you're in a highly specialized area where you don't have a lot of coworkers that do the same thing that you do. Um, We have one person on our team right now in the whole U.S. that does what he does. So he lives in Seattle and he does virtual calls because it's very difficult for him to get everywhere he needs to be. So he can make a lot more of those calls in a short amount of time versus traveling to only one of those because it takes maybe, you know, four or five hours to travel, do an appointment, four or five hours back versus plane time. It makes it difficult. But there are remote jobs, you know, and I have like a Facebook group where I've posted a couple of remote things because people are like, are there really like work from home? There are some, but I will say for the most part, you know, it's a hybrid of working from home some days and then working with the customers. Like my current schedule, I usually am home on Mondays and Fridays and I'm out, we call it kind of out in the field or um, traveling with customers Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So I kind of have this hybrid, you know, home sometimes, you know, working from a hotel room or (laughs) clinic or hospital the other times with our customers. Yeah, that's great. And then with some of the roles that are out there, are any of them part-time or are the majority of them full-time, would you say? So I love that question. Um, So I actually just went and I, I was looking at some of the questions that you sent over to me. So I went on LinkedIn this morning. And I just typed in, you know, part-time medical sales into LinkedIn and about 14,000 job opportunities came through. Oh, wow. Now, I would say like a lot of those um, are not medical, but even if you took like 10% of that, that's still a lot of jobs out there in medical sales that would be something of a medical sales opportunity or 
clinical specialist or clinical educator position or clinical consultant, right? So all different job titles that, you know, could be remote or could be part-time. So you just have to, it's taking time to look for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true for many roles. You know, back when I was a PA student, I never imagined that there would be remote PA roles working clinically. And I have a telepsych position now, which I really enjoy. So there's always, you know, change that can happen in professions or pandemics that can force change or all sorts of things. So I really like how you're highlighting that there's what we think of the norm, but that there are some of those roles that you can kind of fit to your life if needed. Absolutely. And I think like, you know, we all, it's nice to work from home, but I I see the craving of interaction and social interaction now that we've all kind of worked from home. And now we've been isolated so much that we kind of crave that time in front of people. And I'm seeing kind of this, the pendulum swing back to where it's a little bit more social and people are like, I got to get out of this house. Like, yeah, <laughs> get in front of people and have some interaction. Yeah, no, that's great. The last episode that I did was highlighting the Harvard study on adult development that's been ongoing for about 85 years. And it talks about one of the largest key findings in that study was how the quality of our relationships, both with our friends, family and community is what really helps with your health and happiness over the years too. So I think that it's really important, like you said, to have some in-person quality time with other people too. Absolutely. And so touching on that a little bit as well, my introverted self would love to know if healthcare providers working in industry need to be more extroverted in general or the term that we sometimes use is kind of salesy, you know, talking to some people in industry, maybe they can feel salesy at times or like the med reps that used to come into clinic in person that I would talk to or things like that. What would you say for that question? Absolutely. And I probably sound like over the top salesy. <laughs> no, not I'm at all. Like, <laughs> I want people to know like I'm so much happier on this. I side. love it. Um, I love what I do. I look forward, you know, to my job. And to me, I think for the introverted side, there are definite roles. Do you maybe want to be in sales? I think that depends on how comfortable you are having some tough conversations because sometimes you do have to ask tough questions and help people understand like the value of something and not be. So there's a fine line of, of, you know, being walked over and stepped over whenever you're representing a company and a product to being able to just say that's, you know, maybe not okay. Or, you know, can I, maybe I phrased it wrong. Can I rephrase it? So it's taking that kind of initiative. So I think that absolutely. And I see introverts who are in this industry and they do well. And sometimes those people are such better listeners than the over the top kind of person. And kind of like what I was saying, like for me, I, I feel like I'm extroverted and I have a little bit of an introvert personality and I don't feel like I'm salesy. I feel like I'm like, I am providing either a need or a want for your patients. And so if you see it, that that's what you're doing and the knowledge that you have about the product or products that you represent is more important than like your own fear of talking to somebody. Um, because what if they don't know? What if they needed it? What if that patient would have missed out on like 
that education, that lab result, you know, that medication. And so it's our job to come alongside these providers as they make their decision and help them make the best possible decision. So that's how I see what I do. And so therefore, I don't feel like I'm salesy. I feel like I'm like, here's the information. It's up to you to make the best decision. Does this fit with what you need for a patient? Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't feel like that's salesy. No, that sounds great. (laughs) It really sounds like you are looking at your role as trying to add the most value to both the providers that you're working with and the patients that you're working with. And that's what's most important is to just try to be valuable and a resource to people. Absolutely. And on the side, like you're, you know, you're talking to so many providers and, you know, in the role that I work in now, I talk to so many administrators and as they are going out to their patients and their customers, right? Like that's a huge impact. So you want to make sure you get it right. And, you know, you, you do want to bring value every day. And sometimes that means, in, in my opinion, is like our product isn't the best product for this. Sure. Um, so you have to, and sometimes you recommend a different product and, or, you know, Hey, I know you're using this. Um, I just want to let you know that the recommendations like, you know, for, for this like testing, you know, have come out. And even though you may not be using our testing, like I want you to know, because it's going to bring value to your patients. Um, and so I think, you know, that's being a good business partner. And I don't think you have to look at medical industries like the dark side or like pushy salespeople. I mean, obviously we've all seen those people and they're obnoxious and I, you know, I never wanted to be that person. Um, I just want to provide value. And so I think because I felt it as a provider from people that push that I was like, I will not be that person. I will show up. I will bring value in whatever way I can. And then I will read the room and leave. Yeah, sure. (laughs) When appropriate. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think too, that you highlighted the importance of honesty and integrity in your role too, and not just, you know, try to push a product that may not be the best fit for the patient in that situation. Absolutely. Because it's just going to burn you in the end. Because if you are recommending a procedure and implant, you know, a device, a medicine, and it's not right, and that patient has a bad experience, like, and then that leads to bad experiences for the providers, they're not going to want to use whatever it is that you're representing. And so sometimes you just have to say, this is not the patient for this. This is not where you use this. You are not going to get great results in these particular instances. So you just, and you can say, if you choose, this is a better product, or let me show you where, you know, this can fit in better, really the type of patient that you would be looking for. So it is like, all you have is your integrity. And like, to me, this is a long-term position. And so you have to think of it as a marathon. And so, you know, getting the right wins or the right sales or the right, you know, product in the right place at the right time for the right patient is important. Yeah, that's great. It sounds like you're really passionate about your role, which is really wonderful to hear. And since this is a financial podcast, would you mind sharing if your change from clinical medicine over to industry helped you financially? And if so, in what ways? Sure, absolutely. So I decided to 
pull some numbers. Awesome. Thank you. We like numbers. Yeah, no problem. So in 10 years, in my base salary, I've had a 49.4% salary increase. Nice. And so... And I made probably what an average PA made 10 years ago. And I worked for the government at that time. I get my phone paid for. I get my internet paid for. I have a company car. So, you know, if you paid $500 a month for an inexpensive car, right, that'd be about 6000 extra a year. I don't pay taxes, insurance, title fees. I pay for my personal mileage and my gas, which is at a discounted rate. So if you think of, you know, I probably save between two to $3,000 on gas a year. Nice. So there's that. And then I get bonuses usually on a quarterly basis. And so whether you're a medical science liaison, clinical specialist, or in medical sales or district manager or whatever, even marketing people in industry, some of their metrics that they do, and it's all not all tied to sales, right? they can get a bonus quarterly. Sure. And so, and I'll just tell you, I've gotten a bonus between $0 in a quarter to $19,000 in a quarter. Oh, that's awesome. And so, you you know, is that 19000 every time? No, that was just my best, my best quarter yeah. that I've had. And so it's been somewhere in between. So you think of a 49% increase in your salary and then you have the opportunity to make bonus Um, that's, that's a lot. And then, you know, there's profit sharing, those types of things as well that you have the potential and, you know, startups do different things. Um, I haven't worked for a startup company. I've worked for three large companies. Um, so it, you know, and then I have a pension plan as well. So it's been definitely financially freeing on this side. Yeah. That's great. Would you say most industry roles for PAs or other healthcare providers generally beneficially benefit them? Or would you say that it's almost, you know, kind of like starting as a new grad where you feel like you have to put in a lot more time and effort and things like that to kind of build up over the years? Yeah. So um, so basically, I took a, an $18,000 salary pay cut whenever I came into industry. Sure. Okay. But then what I looked at was the car, the insurance, the bonus, everything else. And I ended up making probably about ten dollars to $13,000 more sure. per year. So whenever I laid it all out and, and I was trying to make my decision, so I took a cut in order to get an increase. Yeah. So, um, and it was fairly great. Like you have to look at all the benefits mm-hmm. and then it's like, you know, what's it worth if you're like not in a career where you're happy? Yes. You know, would you be willing to take a cut for a little bit in order to gain? I didn't have, I mean, I had a salary, you know, change, but it, it ended up because of the other benefits, it was actually an increase. Yeah. And so you can find a job where you're making as much, if not more. And some of the students I've worked with have had like a 25% salary increase on their for, in their first job in industry. Uh, I have a, another girl that I worked with who got, you know, 20000 above what she was asking for even, you know, to come over into industry. So 
there are ways and like I would recommend not taking a job where it's not going to benefit you financially, you know, but if you're like, hey, I just want to get into industry and I'll take whatever job, like you go for it. You have to weigh those risks and benefits and and lay everything out on the table and maybe come up with a spreadsheet, right? Yeah. (laughs) What does this look like? (laughs) Yeah, I really like how you talk about analyzing your current situation and what you think the switch would be for that situation and comparing them. And you touched on as well that it's not all about financial benefit too. There can be a lot of non-monetary benefits, like you said, where you feel like you have more flexibility, more time perhaps with your loved ones and things like that too. Absolutely. And it's just finding a, a place where, you know, you have those. And so I'm not saying that I don't work as much. It's a different way to work. And so I may work earlier in the morning or I may work later at night. Um, it just, but I can be wherever I need to be for my family at what time I need to be there. If something happens, you know, obviously like if, you know, as a sales rep, if I was doing a lunch and my kids were sick, like I can stay home with my kids because I guarantee you a lunch is not that important, right? Sure. Like if you were doing a lunch and learned that kind of thing, you don't have patients waiting for you. So that made it a little bit more flexible if something like that happened or if I need it, you know, okay, we only have an opening this for your kid. And so you have to be there. Then you have that freedom to be like, I can rearrange my schedule or I can rearrange that call. And so you can run to the cleaners during the day sometimes or on your way home or something like that. So that you just kind of move your priorities and you just make sure that those are always at the top and you work your work life into that. And it just looks different for different people. It also kind of means that work might be around all the time too, because you work out of your house, you work out of your car. Um, But it's finding ways to just make it all work together so that you can be more present when you're present with your kids and your family. Yeah, I love that. yourself, right? Yeah, no, (laughs) definitely. That's really important. I really appreciate you taking the time to share those details and that information. Oh, yeah, sure. And it sounds as though you're really happy in your current role and want other PAs to be really happy, but it also sounds as though you've experienced burnout over your years working as a PA. Was the burnout only in your clinical role or did you also have some burnout in industry as well? So could you share a little bit about your experience and also what helped with your burnout over the years. Yeah, absolutely. So I think like really it just really started in PA school. Like I think after PA school, I was so done. You know, you work so hard. You go to school after school after school and you've always set these um, expectations for yourself and these goals and you've got to get the grades so you can get into the next school and just all of these things. And so after school, I had a hard time of like setting new goals. I didn't set new goals for the longest time and because I was just so done and I didn't want to learn anything more. I didn't want to do any CME, any of those things. So that was really hard and I had to reprioritize, you know, myself and my exercise, you know, all of those things. Because, um, you know, when we're recommending things to our patients, we probably need to follow those things as well, right? And whenever I was working in cardiology, I was like, i got to do better here. Sure, yeah. Here I am recommending these things to patients. Um, And then I had a cardiology job where I was in private practice, and they kept saying, okay, you're, you know, whenever I was hired, you're going to work one in six, you know, weekends. And it was one in five, then it was one in four, then it was one in three. Uh. And it became kind of every other. And I was like, this is just crazy. And 
I didn't want to do and still, you know, come back and, and do the same thing during the week. So it was just a little overwhelming. And I just quit my job. Sure. And I stayed like I was you know, married to my kid's dad at the time. And financially, I was able to stay at home for a little bit of time until I found a position that I wanted. Awesome. So I know that that's a luxury that we're not all allowed to do. But I did. I just stayed at home and I knew that I wasn't being the best mom for my kids at the time. And so, I, you know, I just had to step away. And then, you know, I do think it's the exercise. I do think it's the stepping back. And now I, I totally love meditation and using those, you know, kind of relievers to refocus and still learning and doing some of the self-help books, you know, all of those things to like make us better and to like reframe our mindset. You know, I think in healthcare, we, we see a lot of negative things. Like what we hear is complaint, right? What's your chief complaint? Sure. Yeah. Right? So, so those are the things we bombard our mind with is negativity all day. Like what else is wrong? You know, what else is going on? And like, those are usually the bad things. So we're listening to other people's bad things and it comes into our mind. So we have to really protect ourselves and reframe how we think um, and, and protect our minds as well. So thinking about gratefulness and thinking about positivity, thinking about how we talk to ourselves, right, is so important. I think that's the biggest thing is like how you talk to yourself and giving yourself grace is definitely one of the best ways that I've dealt with burnout. Awesome. As a mental health PA, I can't say much better. You reviewed self-care recommendations perfectly. So thank you so much for that. I love all those recommendations. Sure. So I'm not always the best at everything. I go through my phases, right? Like some days I'm really good. Some days I'm not. Some months I'm good. Some months I'm not. I may be better mentally and not physically. So it'd be great to get them all aligned right? at the same time continuously, right? Yes, I hear that. <laughs> I, I feel like I personally have a hard time with self-care as well. So I really appreciate you sharing that you can struggle, but then sometimes just do better next day or next month and just try to keep being a work in progress, essentially. Yeah. I, um, I'll i just share real quick, if that's okay. Um, so James Clear is the author of Atomic yes, Habits. Yes, love that book. And it, have you oh, read yeah. It? It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I love it. And so one of um, – I was um, – I'm a member in this community, and he came and lectured for – he did a virtual lecture for an hour. And he – said, and um, I've read most of the book, but not all of it. And I don't know that I've gotten to this part, but he said, whatever kind of habit that you're trying to form, whatever you're trying to do. And he's like, don't miss twice. Sure. Like that just needs to be your rule. Like give yourself grace, give yourself forgiveness and don't miss twice. And so I'm trying to implement that in, you know, whatever it is that I'm trying to be healthy with, whether it's exercise or how I eat or, you know, the days that I'm trying to think of what it is, probably maybe, you know, phone use, that kind <laughs> sure. of thing. Sure. Yes. That's a hard one. <laughs> Documenting things, right? So just not missing twice, which I think is a great rule. That's like something I'm trying to implement right now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I will include a link to that book in the show notes for the listeners to check out if they haven't checked it out already. But I really like that book as well. Tons of great information for sure. And I also want to highlight the fact that you actually took a pause. You didn't jump necessarily from one role that you think would be 
better to another role that you thought would be better when you were burnt out. You actually took a pause for a period of time. I think that if you can financially afford to, then that's a very respectable and reasonable thing to do. And I think that's why it's important to not only reach financial independence where you don't have to work, but also get your finances under better control on your way so you have that freedom to be able to do that if you absolutely need to or want to. You know, some people choose to take a sabbatical because they want to do some traveling or things like that. Or some people might need to care for a family member that's sick and help them out more and have to dial back in their role or just pause and stop altogether. How long of a pause did you take? And then did you find that it was hard to return back to your role afterwards or no? It wasn't hard at all, I remember, um, because I was super excited about the role that I went into. It was actually a cardiology role at the VA in Kansas City, and I loved it. Cool. And I believe, I'm going to say it was like six to seven months maybe that I took off. I don't remember. I'd have to really go back and think. Sure. But I would say maybe six to seven months before I, you know, went back. And, you know, I just wasn't necessarily happy I mean, not that I wasn't happy at home. I was totally happy at home. But I kept thinking to myself, man, I could get paid for this. Or man, I could, you know, (laughs) that kind of thing. And what could I do with that money? And my kids are, you know, in school anyway during that time. So it's one of those things of, you know, it just was a huge blessing, you know, to be able to do that. Yeah. But it's it's so nice to step away somehow or another if you can. Yes. If, If that's where you're finding yourself. Yeah. And it may be into a different position, you know? Yes, definitely. And I think that's okay too. Yes, I agree. It's so important that we recognize and realize that we don't have to feel stuck in a role or a position or an environment that we feel stuck in. Absolutely. And that's why, like, as I talk to people and kind of coach people, it's kind of like, regardless, like, if you're interested in an industry, great. But, like, if you're feeling stuck or trapped or miserable, like, you don't have to stay there. Like, you don't have to grind through that any longer. You have to really give yourself permission to, like, look for something else. Because, like, I think we grind and grind and grind through school all the time. And then we just think that's a normal, everyday thing. And when we get into these careers, we don't have to do that if it's not serving us, if it's not serving our family, if it's not serving our priorities. And I think it's just like you've got to be happy doing something um, and like find your like find what you can be passionate about. I knew for me, I still love medicine. I still love learning. I still love educating. And that's really what medical industry brought me. Yeah. And not only the feeling of feeling like we have to grind things out or put the pressure on ourselves. I think too, it's the feeling that we struggle with guilt so much when we're thinking about leaving a position. And I think it's so important to recognize that your coworkers very likely will miss you. Your patients will very likely miss you. Your nurses that you work with or other medical staff very likely will miss you and you will miss them, but you are replaceable in those roles And it's okay. You don't have to feel guilty for leaving if you're in a role that isn't serving you to the best of your ability and you don't feel like it's a good fit for your life at that role. Absolutely. And I think that, um, and I totally learned this from somebody and I don't know who, but like if your, your guilt is like, that means that you're doing something wrong, right? And you're not doing anything wrong. What you're doing is you're choosing you. 
and if you continue to stay in a position because of other people and because of either what they might think or how they might feel about you, then you're choosing to allow them to be more important than you. And so I think, you know, obviously our family and our friends, that's important too, but like our work is our work and our job. And we have to prioritize us and our family over what somebody else is going to think or, you know, what burden that might put on them, I I think. Exactly. I agree for sure. And we've talked about some tips for PAs and other healthcare professionals that are thinking about going into industry already or who are feeling burnt out in their current role and want to make a change perhaps into a non-clinical role. Are there any other tips that you would suggest for the listeners out there who are considering perhaps changing over into doing similar situation of what you're doing? Yeah, I think that number one, you know, you have to figure out what your priorities and your musts are in your life, right? Like the non-negotiables. And I think that you have to figure out, okay, these are the things I will not settle on. And I'm going to find a position where I'm not going to do this, this, and this. Now, if you're like, I don't want to work and I don't want to, you know, just sit at home, like that's probably not going to fit into the, um, the scheme because definitely, you know, regardless, it's, it's work. Sure. And but you have to figure out like what you like, what you don't like, what area of medicine like you're happy yeah. with. You know, are you even happy in medicine? Like, where do you want to be? Where do you, what do you want to do when you're right? Up, right? <laughs> and I think spending time with yourself of like what's important and how, like, what is the best case scenario? What would I be doing if I wasn't doing this? What brings me happiness? What brings me joy? And then listening to other people sometimes too, of like, this is what you're good at. Yeah. You know, where do you have an area of expertise like that maybe somebody else doesn't have? You know, and if you enjoy teaching others, like if you have residents or fellows that you're training or PA students or medical students, you know, do you find passion in that? Like, think about those things. I think that, you know, as you're thinking about like what you're going to do, like get that resume together, you know, what are some of the measurables that you've been um, accomplishing, like with your practice or your hospital, all of those things, getting those things together you know, thinking about companies that you like and love that you might want to work for, that kind of thing. And, you know, just kind of thinking through industry. But if you're thinking just about a non-clinical career, like sometimes you you have to think, like what I taught my kids was you have to figure out the kind of lifestyle you want to live and where you're going to be happy with. And then you have to model somebody who's doing what that is in an area that you're passionate about, right? Like you can do something that you're passionate about and make money from it. There are lots and lots of people out there doing things, like especially in this age of like TikTok and (laughs) Instagram and Facebook, all of those things. So you can figure those things out. Um, But I think it's taking time and making it a priority and working on something every day, like realizing that, you know, small progress is still progress and getting started is probably like the hardest part, but like just taking time out and backing away from scrolling, you know, and making it a priority to, to think about your long-term goals every single day. Yeah. Yeah. I really like those recommendations for sure. I have heard it said that action creates clarity. And so if you are just overthinking, feeling overwhelmed, overanalyzing, like you said, 
there are some steps you can take right away. Update your resume, Mm -hmm. take the step to transition into the role and test it out and see if you like it. And that's the beauty of our career. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, some people get frustrated with this career and I'm like, it's, it's like led to more opportunities. And like, if I could encourage you to take a position, you know, in an opportunity that leads to more opportunities, because that's going to really help you instead of like pigeonholing you into just one little area. So for sure, it's a great, it's a great career. The PA world has been awesome. (laughs) Yes. And for those listeners who want more support in transitioning over to industry, it sounds as though you've created a really great resource to help them. Would you share a few details about your course that you have for the listeners? Absolutely. So, well, first of all, I have a free Facebook group for anybody to join, and that is um, called Making an Impact in Medical Industry as a Healthcare Provider. And that's on Facebook. So Making an Impact in Medical Industry as a Healthcare Provider. And then I have created a course called Mastering Medical Industry as a Healthcare Provider. And so it's for anyone really who wants to become a clinical specialist or a medical science liaison or a medical sales representative. And it is an on-demand content. So there's seven hours of content where, you know, we really talk about the benefits and the perks and like your value to industry. I kind of lay out what industry is and like all the job possibilities and really working on cover letters and resumes and interview techniques that, you know, I've done over the last how many ever years. And then I'm interviewing people now in my current role as a manager. So I know what we're looking for in hiring. And so I developed this course and I launched it a little less than a year ago. I've had students who have gone on to become medical science liaisons. I've had students go into sales positions. I've had folks go into clinical specialist positions contract position. So, you know, it's been really nice. And then I offer group coaching along with it. And so you can jump into group coaching when I have group coaching. And so it makes it like really fun because you, we do some mock interviews. We put somebody's resume up there and we're like, okay, what about this, this, and this, and this is how you could tweak it to make it sound better because you've got to get through, you know, the algorithms and that's difficult. And so understanding like how important a resume and cover letter is, is key in all of this as well. So yeah, that talks a little bit about the course, but it's at um, onepatientatatime.com and it's the number one. So onepatientatatime.com slash course, uh, if you're interested in that as well, but it's been fun. Yeah. To have it. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing those details, Rachel. I will definitely include the links for the course in the show notes, as well as that Facebook group. If the listeners would like to check them out, make sure that you check out those links in the show notes today. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing that. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And if some of those who are listening would like to follow you on social media or reach out with questions, what would be the best way for them to contact you? Absolutely. So you can obviously on Facebook. So it's If you join the group, like my email is there. You can contact me. You can DM me. It's Rachel Elaine Jorgensen. It's A-L-L-A-I-N. And I'm sure you can put that in there. And then on Instagram, it's Rachel Jorgensen, J-U-R, Rachel Jorgensen um, dot P-A-C. It's my Instagram. And so you're welcome to send me a message on that as well. Great. I will include those in the show notes as well. 
Yeah. And I can send you my email too. If any of your listeners want to just email me and we can set up some time or call, you know, quick intro call, that kind of thing if they have questions. So happy to do that. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me for today's show, Rachel. I really appreciate it. I think all the information that we touched on will be very valuable to all the listeners out there. So I really appreciate your time today. I really appreciate being able to come on and, you know, really at the end of the day, it's about finding something that you're really happy with. So, um, and what brings you passion and what you don't dread, right? None of us want to dread anything. So I just appreciate the opportunity to come on and get to visit with you as well. So I love what you're doing and, and helping like the community. And I just think it's awesome. So thank you for the opportunity here. Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you decide to continue to join me along this journey of becoming a PA the FI way. Please take a moment to press the subscribe button on the platform that you are listening to this on, but more importantly, consider sharing with another current or future PA that could benefit from the information that we reviewed in this episode. Take care and have a great rest of your day. Until next time.